Well, good morning. Um, hope that you're not as sleepy as I am. <laughs> um, so today we start our topic on God's will and decision making. So I think if there is a topic, I mean, a lot of these are dear to me, but these particularly has a precious uh, place in my heart. Uh, and the reason being, um, I grew up, you know, thinking that God's will was this obscure, um, mysterious thing that I have to find out. Um, and, and in a sense, I don't think it was taught necessarily from the pulpit in my home church, but I think a lot of us kids in that generation, we're just so overwhelmed with that, that question. Am I uh, missing God's will for me? When, whom I date? Whom I marry? Uh, what career do I pick? What college should I go? Uh, where should I live? And, and all those things. And particularly, I think uh, so most of my friends, they had some missionary inclination. So they wanted to be involved in missions. And our church was very missionary. So that it's one thing I'm thankful for uh, to the Lord is that there was always the talk of maybe he wants us to serve somewhere else uh, in, um, you know, in foreign missions or in a different state than the one that I grew up in. So there was always that talk, and we had missionaries often coming to our church, like almost every month. We had missionaries sharing their testimony, giving missions reports, or sharing their testimonies on how they were called to be missionaries. And so all of those stories, um, we would read missionary biographies, and particularly, you know, the, the 19th, the way to, uh, 19th, 20th century, you would hear uh, Hudson Taylor and all those people that were very uh, mystical on their call to missions and to ministry. And so we, I, I was always challenged with that. What is God's will for my life? Um, and so we're going to be addressing some of these questions today. We're going to talk about the most popular view, and I think some of them you might identify yourself with. And we're going to contrast with Scripture. So I don't know if many of you got the email that I sent earlier, but if you had questions ahead of time, some passages that are confusing to you, um, you can email it to me. We have another meeting next week, and we'll go to more specifics. You know, how about career? How about marriage? How about this or that? Or more specific decisions next week. Today, I want to give you kind of an uh, overview of what God's will is and how we make decisions biblically. And I'm going to end up with some counseling issues. Uh, when people come for counseling and they're having struggles with decision making. All right? So let's ask for the Lord's help. I'm excited for this. I hope you are too. Um, have your questions. I might not answer all of them today, maybe in the next Sunday, um, but have it ready for us to discuss. All right, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word that is um, a light into our path, Lord. You're, you are our instruction. You have given us everything that we need to know your will. 
I, I do pray, Father, that even as we study these things, you would bring conviction, that you would uh, correct maybe some thinking, that not necessarily we would say that we believe, but the way we talk um, might give that indication. So I, I do pray, Father, that you would um, instruct us and to, to help us really to see this as you want us to see and to embolden us to make decisions uh, with more um, certainty based on the truths of your word. Lord, we are thankful for this opportunity, and I pray that you would bless everyone here to be encouraged by your words. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you have your notes there, and I put a little comic strip, and I had these two, I don't know, the dogs, uh, these little puffy balls there. <laughs> um, and one says, making decision is hard. And the other one, why? At any juncture, you might make a mistake. So? then always lost. And when did you decide that? Right? You're, we're, we're just so thinking that if we make a decision that might go wrong, then all is lost. So you're already deciding that that is lost. And ultimately, we're going to see about God's sovereign will that even the things that we do wrong, that we do make a mistake, God still uses in his providence to accomplish his goals. But let me give you here a, kind of an extended quote from J.I. Packer on his book um, on God's will. During the past century and a half, the topic of guidance from God has become the focus of just such fear in many Christian, Christian hearts. Christian people have always rejoiced in the certainty that God in his omniscient wisdom and grace is working out his plan for our lives, that he helps us in our decision-making and strengthens us to do, what obedience, um, to, uh, to do what obedience to his will will require of us. But in some quarters, the exuberant outward-looking holiness modeled by such men as John Wesley and William Wilberforce shrank into a legalistic pietism. So pietism, which means living by the belief that nothing in life matters so much as my personal relationship with God, is right. And we all agree with that. Um, but legalism, which means living by the belief that the quality of my relationship with God depend on my depends on my turning some form of correct performance, is neither. In this case, two specific things went wrong. First, the notion spread that getting and following direct guidance from God as something above and beyond making common sense decision in Christian terms was a matter of great importance in the Christian life. It was put so much emphasis on that. Second, God's plan for the, for the Christian individual's life came to be thought of like a travel itinerary in which making planned connections is crucial, and missing a connection wrecks the plan and it spoils the rest of the journey. For now, a second-rate plan B must be formed to replace the original ideal, but now impractically, plan A, and this will certainly involve some measure of loss. So there was always that sense, I, I messed up, and I am now living God's second best for me because I missed the mark. In consequence, fearful, full of fear and a perplexed anxiety with regard to decision-making became widespread among evangelical people. 
believers felt unable to make far-reaching decisions until they had <laughs> received some special personal indication from God as to what they should do. Fear of making what God's standpoint would be wrong commitments vocationally, professionally, socially, relationally, and matrimonially induced a kind of inner paralysis that resulted, resulted in good and desirable commitments not being made because people could not bring themselves to make any commitment at all, which was, of course, an instance of decision-making itself that was not usually seen that way. This has not been a happy state of affairs, uh, end of quote. So, um, as I said here, you know, even this, it's kind of funny because they think, well, I can't make a decision at all. I mean, you are making a decision. You're postponing it. <laughs> It, that's a decision. Um, and so I don't know about you. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Um, how people make decisions today? Uh, you know, believers and unbelievers alike. Raise your hand if you have something to add here. C can you see that? Do you, do you hear people talking about God's way was this fearful thing? Or um, I don't know, any comments, observations? Um, over there, Tim. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they asked the council. I think that is a very uh, helpful thing. Uh, uh, and we're going to see later. There are those that, are, that do that too much. I thought they, they can't move anywhere unless they talk to 10 people. And they all agree with the same thing. Or they get conflicted about the 10 things that they're being told. All right, Ricky. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm hearing God's voice. I think that is very, very common. We, um, I talk to many people or uh, saying that impression, you know, I think the Lord is leading me on this direction. Um, I remember talking to, you know, college students um, and, and talking about relationships and had a breakup or something. And, and the girl told them, you know, I think the Lord is leading me this direction. I think he doesn't want us to date. I mean, did he tell you? that you're, j just tell to the guy in his face, like, I just, I'm not interested in you, <laughs> you know, uh, it really putting God's word, in appropriating God's word to, to themselves, it, it sounds godly, um, but did really God tell you in, in this way or, or another, is there a passage of scripture, I mean, if, if you're dating an unbeliever, all right, and the, the Lord is clear in his word that there's no fellowship between darkness and light, and, um, he, and, and you can say, you know, yeah, he, he tells me in Scripture <laughs> where, where that is going. I, you know, I just thought of, of this example right now. I'm on Second Samuel, um, I just think it's uh, helpful for us to take a look at this. Second Samuel, probably around chapter 7. Let me just confirm here. Um, remember that David uh, ha has a plan to build um, to build the temple, to build the temple to the Lord uh, when the ark was brought to Jerusalem. And then, um, so David shares to, 
to, to Nathan his desire to build the temple. Verse uh, Chapter 7, verse 2 says, The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark dwells in the, in the, with, within tent curtains. So he's expressing, I, I want to build a temple to the Lord. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. This is a, this is a plan from the Lord. Um, but in, in the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, thus says the Lord, he's not going to be the one building my temple. You know, good desire. It's a good thing. And actually, God blesses. But that desire is coming from David. It, it, it is not that the Lord, oh, I put this desire in my heart. And Nathan's saying, well, well you, you do everything that the Lord has put, put in your heart. And well, God comes to him and says, no, that, that wasn't me. That's not my plan for you. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good desire, and I appreciate you having that desire. I'm going to even bless you because you have this desire. You know, he, he even blesses David for having that desire. But it, it wasn't God's plan. So we have to be careful sometimes when we say, oh, God is telling me, or I, I just feel the Lord is moving me this way, unless you have scripture to, to back that up and, and to say, you know, scripture tells me this. And so I, I can say, you can, you can say that um, I have a desire to do this or to do that. Um, and, and maybe you only know after the fact, as we're going to see us here. All right. How about the world? How do you think the world makes decisions? Clint. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so um, what Clint is saying is just this whole trend of um, little uh, mystical things, uh, tarot cards, um, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that's clearly. So. Clint talks about two things here, him, how the world does with all these different mystical things. Um, what is that one called? Like there's a ball that you're, should I do this or not? And then they shake the ball, the, the magic, what? Eight ball. And it says, yes or no? <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, and, and then um, where he's talking also about believers can get, you know, hop in that train and, and, and go in that train, you know, well, Lord, what should I do today? Oh, that's what that's what you're gonna do. <laughs> I will make this city a desolation and an object. I just opened that random place, you know. <laughs> it's like, it, that that's that's the Lord's will for me, you know. It, it's the kind of I, it's laughable, but um, I think at times I'm not kidding. There are people that really do that. You know, they had a little box with verses, I've seen, and where, you know, it's good to have scripture memorized and, and you know, things, but it, it is the kind of mysticism that you really think, and we're going to see here that some of that, uh, really, the origins of, of that finding God's will really comes from. Um, I have uh, Andrew there, and then I'll come back to you. Um, sure. All right. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so Andrew's just said about, talked about um, they keep going asking others. Um, and, and it's not that they're seeking, you know, really real instruction. Um, they just want to find someone that agrees with them. Um, and, and I think at the, the heart of that, 
would say it's just the, the, the seeking of um, doing what makes them more happy, you know, that, that is more pleasant to them. So whenever they do find that affirmation, um, yeah, that, that's what I'm going to do. Um, it's like, well, did you really even need to ask people in the first place if you're going to, to stick with that um, over there? It's a clusum. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, Brad, uh, he said um, on, you know, God's word has been our guidance, you know, and, and the Holy Spirit does bring scripture to mind and he, the believer will know. Um, and I think we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get into this more, um, but I think Brad is going in the right direction here on uh, the, this whole topic of guidance. Um, so anyways, um, I'll come back to you. We'll, we'll, we'll move a little bit here. Um, so the popular view, or what some have called the traditional view. So uh, Gary Friesen and Robbie Maxson has written in this book, Decision Making the Will of God, a Biblical Alternative to the Traditional View. And, you know, it's already now in the second edition, I think it came out in 2004. It's a thick book. I mean, if it, it's helpful, very, very helpful. You can... Um, even explains the passages they are taking out of context. And I put it there, scripture used out of its historical grammatical context. Um, and it's what Clint was getting at, where they'll look to these Old Testament examples or even during the, the church time, the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit in certain ways. Um, you know, the Old Testament, they use the Urim and the Thummim, which was very specific to, to the people of Israel during that time. And then you, you see that, you know, the casting of lots. Um, and one thing to keep in perspective is we, when we interpret scripture, we want to see what the context is. Is this passage a prescriptive passage? Is the Lord telling us to do as they did or is simply relating it to us? It's just describing it to us. In most of those passages, they're descriptive. They're not prescriptive. I mean, we see Saul, of, uh, I'm going to give this example later, Saul seeking a necromancer. Um, he's describing what he did. He's not condoning what he did. Um, and I think sometimes, we, a lot of times, they will come to those passages and say, well, see, so-and-so did this way, so should we. Um, is God telling you to do that? So here's the, the premise for that um, traditional or popular view. For each of our decisions, God has an ideal plan that he will make known to the atten attentive believer. So rather than asking what is the best for me or what will bring me the greatest amount of happiness, like the world, right, the Christian should ask, uh, what is God's will for me in this decision? So given God's desire and ability to communicate, the believer can have confidence that God's will can be known with certainty in any situation. Um, and then see failure to discern or to obey God's leading results in, it results in anxiety, frustration, discouragement that come from living outside the center of God's will. So that I grew up with this, the, the center of God's will. You've got to find the center. It's just the core. It's the very, very center of God's will, and you have to be there to, to be happy and satisfied and fulfilled. And when you miss that, sucks to be you. You got left on a plan B. You're not living God's very best for you. 
Uh, so there's some things that we would agree as we read some of these. So, um, but I do want you to realize, and I'm not quoting some of the passages here, so I'll add it later as you bring those passages so we can look at them together. Because it, it took the whole time for us to go each, on each of these passages. And the definition then is the phrase, the will of God is used in three ways in the Bible. So I found this summary chart, and it was taken from uh, Frazen's book. So there's three wills. There's God's sovereign will, God's moral will, God's individual will. So there are the three. God's sovereign will uh, is God's secret plan that determines everything that happens in the universe. And because so God's sovereign will is secret, it does not directly affect our decision-making. This is what they're saying. God's sovereign will is a detailed plan for all events in human history. Humans cannot fully understand it. <clears throat> in God's moral will, uh, God's revealed commands in the Bible that teach how men ought to live and believe. Where God has spoken in the Bible, the believer must obey. But God's moral will does not, indirect, does not directly address many specific decisions faced by an individual. So they are saying that scripture doesn't have everything that you need for that. There are other things that you need to go for to, um, uh, to really find his will. So God's moral will, scripture, uh, that's what they're saying. Uh, for example, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, everything you thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Um, so we believe in God's moral will and that he commands us that he wants us to obey. And then that's where they include something else here. Uh, God's individual will is God's ideal, detailed life plan uniquely designed for each person. God's guidance for decision-making is given through the indwelling, the indwelling spirit who progressively reveals God's life plan to the heart of the believer through a variety of means. This is the aspect of God's will that is usually of greatest concern to those facing life's decision. Some writers use the, the visual image, and as you, I put it in there, um, of a target to describe the very center of God's will. Within a larger circle of God's moral will, finding the dot in the center is essential for making correct decisions. So choosing apart from God's perfect will, missing the dot, will likely result in experiencing God's second best for living within God's permissive will. Um, so I know it was a lot, of, a lot in there. Um, <clears throat> and here's just you know, a comment on, on the whole God individual will for us. Um, do I believe that God has a plan for the believers? Absolutely. Do I believe that God has a plan for me? Yes, he, he has my days counted. Now, how that does that look like in terms of me knowing it? Um, it's not what they're describing here. Um, so, but I want you to, to see the, uh, the comparison of these three here. So God's moral will is set general commands, principles, and proverbs for living a successful, successful life. God's individual will is a detailed plan for all decisions, events, and a believer's earthly life. Um, we're sovereign will. We're not expected to find God's sovereign will, but we have always confidence it will come to pass. Believers, God more, more will, are expected to learn and obey these commands and principles, but believers can fall to learn and obey them. 
in God's individual will, believers are expected to find and follow it, but we can miss it by failure to obey, to learn and obey. And then um, the very bar- bottom there, there's an example. Though, uh, for God's sovereign will, though it includes evil and foolish decisions, ultimately God will bring good and, and glory out of it. Agreed. Um, God's more will, its directiveness are general, such as they apply to all believers. For example, marry a, marry a believer, not an unbeliever. Then lastly there, God's individual will, its directives are specific. For example, marry the guy next door or move to Vermont. So they're, it's very specific. It, it, it is, you know, so God intended you to marry that person. You didn't marry them. Uh, you have now God's second best, not the plan that God had for you. So just not saying that I agree with this, just relating it to you. Uh, Andrew, do you have a, a question, observation so far? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I will. So then, you know, this God, then how do you find out this God's individual will? Um, one, the word of God. We agree with that, right? But we, we're right there. Circumstances, uh, since uh, they are controlled by God, circumstances can point us to his will. He, use, uh, he uses open and closed doors, um, though sometimes the door that is closed only means that we should wait. Um, I'll come and open and close doors later. God uses fleeces, a providential sign determined beforehand that indicating, indicates a yes or no from him. For example, Lord, if you want us to sell our home, please have someone inquire about it next week without our advertising its availability. Kind of put at least this little test to see if it is God's will. You know, I'm going to wait for, I mean, you can reason in your mind. I think we all do that. All right, well, if this happens, then I'll do this. But then we, when we bring the Lord into this equation, um, I mean, I had so many conversations with this. Um, I just put this test, you know, if this happens, I'll know for sure that this is God's will for me. Um, I had a friend, oh my goodness, we had so much fun it, it, you know, like in teenage years, we're talking about girls and all of that, and um, I just remember how mystical he was. Um, he liked this girl that didn't like him. She liked another guy, and he would be looking. I mean, he would be watching the TV and clicking the channel, and whatever came there, whatever was said, it was like, this is a sign that I, I don't think I should be with her, but I really like her. Maybe that's, that's not quite a sign quite yet, and then he was well, I remember this one was, I remember cracking up so hard. We, he was walking uh, on a street, and you know this graffiti? Some streets in Brazil has a lot of graffiti. And um, in one, of, someone had written the name of the guy that this other girl liked. It's like, that's the sign. The Lord does not want me to be with her. He, she wants her to be with this other guy. And, and it is. And you keep looking for these signs. It, that, that's the circumstances. Uh, and they will find, you know, they'll refer to a lot of scripture passages that refer to that. The putting out the fleeces comes from scripture. Again, there was a description, not a prescription. You know, witnesses or impressions of the Spirit. So guidance is an important ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm, it's their view. He leads through inner impressions in our heart, giving confirmation through settled supernatural sense of peace. I think this is a huge one. Um, 
or I just have this peace in my heart about this whole situation, I think it is the Lord's will. I think I'll, I'll discuss more about peace later, but that just keep this in mind. Mature counsel, Proverbs 24, 6, and discord of value of wise counselors who can help us discern God's will. It's good. Personal desires. Um, and then um, common sense. The church leaders are expected to be wise and sensible, uh, so they just use common sense. Then lastly, supernatural guidance. That's the part where it really affects me here. It's God has led through audible voice, angel, vision, prophecy, miracles. Those are major things on, on this fighting God's will. Now, I want to correct here um, right off the bat that finding God's will is a pagan concept. Um, Bruce Walt, he wrote this book, Finding God's Will, A Pagan Notion. It's a title of the book. Um, he says, in the phrase, to find God's will, it's very tricky, and I'm not saying that if you say that, it's, it's wrong. I, I want to hear where you're coming from. Um, but the verb to find means to learn, to obtain, or attain God's mind. But the term implies that God's mind is something hidden that needs to be discovered. The term is trying to, for trying to find the divine being's hidden knowledge is divination. You're trying to find that what the divine is, is, that's divination. Thus finding it is, this use really means divination, which means according to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, the art or practice that seeks to discover hidden knowledge, usually by the interpretation of omens or by the aid of supernatural powers. I mean, you, you're not seeking, you know, a dead animal, necessarily you're not uh, shaking a ball, but you're looking for, for signs. That, that's pretty much the same thing. Divination was common in pagan religions. As a matter of fact, it was the observation of, of pagan kings. Leo um, Oppenheimer uh, distinguished professor in the prestigious department of Near Eastern Studies at the University of Chicago estimates that 80% of the texts from Mesopotamia pertain to divination. 80%. I mean, you read those old ancient texts, and it, it is primarily them trying to figure out the, the will of their divinity for whatever it is, their political state, their... Um, so... Kings in the ancient world, including biblical kings, uh, would never act in anything, particularly events, as important as going to battle until they had the mind of the deity so that they could control their destiny. The book of Samuel tells this story. When Saul, this is for Samuel 28, 5 and 7, when uh, Saul, the first king of Israel, saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. And he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or the prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, and she was a necromancer. Um, when legitimate forms of divination within Israel's religion failed, Saul restored, resorted to a pagan form known as necromancy, which involved the trying to contact the spirit of the dead. Um, all right. So, um, God's will, on this sense, 
Uh, it's not this obscure trying to find out the dot. Uh, let's look what scripture really has to say about this. And I think uh, a premise that we have to start at that there's only two aspects of God's will. Also, God does not have two wills or a conflicting will. He has one will. Now, in terms and how that relates to us, it, it, there is a distinction because we don't know everything. We, we don't have uh, the exact mind of God. We, have, we said to have the mind of Christ, right? But we don't know everything that God thinks about, every single decision that he made from eternity past to eternity future. Uh, and Deuteronomy 29, 29, I think that's the one we need to have in, in view here. Now the passage is too, but I think this one is, makes it clear. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belongs to us. Things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of, his, of this law. So there are things that God uh, did not reveal to us. They're secret. They're secret things to us. We, we won't know until after the fact. We won't know until we are in eternity with him when we can ask him. <laughs> but there are things that he did reveal to us. Um, I remember another, it's a quoted verse in the Old, New Testament, re reference to the Old Testament, where, um, you know, uh, no eyes have seen, no ears have heard. Um, what the Lord has prepared for those that love him. And, and then you keep reading the verse. What does it say? But God revealed it to us. Whatever he wanted us, that, that plan that he had for us, the instruction from scripture, he revealed to us in his scripture. So what he wanted us to know, he, he did reveal to us. He didn't leave us wondering. So finding God's will really is about is studying scripture and, and finding what he already gave it to us. We understand then these two forms, um, what theologians speak as God, uh, decretive will, uh, or decretive will, no, decretive, yes, decretive, something else, and God's preceptive will. The former refers to God's plan for the though the universe, and includes all that comes to pass. The latter refers to God's precepts or directives he has for man. So, all right, let's, let's see here two aspects of God's de decretive or sovereign will. That's talking about God's sovereignty. One, the first aspect is God's sovereignty. It's often used in the scripture to refer to God's eternal plan and decrees. That's why decretive by which he not only created the world, but also is moving everything in it to its divinely appointed destiny. Um, the plan of the Lord stands firm forever, Psalm 33, 11. The purpose of his heart through all generations. Isaiah 46, 10. My purpose will withstand, and I will do all that I please. So God has this will, this uh, that he, he does what he pleases. He does what he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, what have you done? Daniel 4.35. As this text shows, the will of God there refers to his eternal 
sovereign rulership over the world. And according to Habakkuk 2.3, hastens toward the goal and will not fail. God's sovereign will will not change. He has determined that, and he will bring it to pass. In the New Testament, the, the use of the will of God is sometimes spoken of with half reference to his immutable, eternal purposes. He talks about even the, the death of Christ being planned by him. And then second aspect of this decretive will that we don't know all that is to know. Sometimes we know after the fact or in the pages of scriptures that already revealed God's plan from the past or what's going to happen in the future. You read Revelation. That's God's plan for the future. But it's his sovereign will, how he's working in this world. Then has the element of providence. Theologians come and uh, use the term providence for his eternal plan um, of particular circumstances. God creates circumstances that control our lives and destiny, destiny apart from our will. King David once said that the whole to the whole assembly of Israel, if it is, seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of the people to come and join us. First Chronicles 13, 2. In effect, David was saying that his plan depended on the providence of God allowing it to happen. Paul took the same approach to God's will in Acts 18.21, telling the Ephesians, I will come back if it is God's will. If it is in God's providence, he's working all these things behind the scene to bring it to pass. The apostle did not know the details of the future would bring. He might or might not return to Ephesus depending on how the events unfolded. But uh, if providence favored it, then it must be God's will. Similarly, James, and I want, actually, let's open that there. James chapter 4, verse 15. Um, we put too much emphasis on, on these plans. And I, I think that is, for me, this text is the most clear to those who, uh, talk about finding out, you know, with certainty this God's sovereign will for each individual. Um, for a verse, actually, let's see, verse 13. Um, can someone uh, read it for us, actually? All right, go ahead. Thank you, Aaron. Um, so you see there that these... Um, Making plans with certainty that this is going to happen is actually quite prideful. It is our pride to say, um, I, I will know with certainty what I will do tomorrow. I mean, you, you, you don't have control of our life. In God's providence, many things can happen. Yes, you may fulfill that. So that's why he's saying, you know, if God wills, if it in his providence, he will bring things to pass and this um, work out together, um, then, then it will be his will. You know, after the fact, you will realize, like, oh, yeah, God, it was God's will. It happened in, in that way. Uh, but whenever I hear, well, oh, I just found out what God's will of my life was, I mean, like, okay, tell me. Tell me more. What, is the, what passage of Scripture led you to that <laughs> conclusion? Um, but when they say, oh, no, there's the signs of this or that, I mean, you know, it, it's quite prideful of you to say that you you know, because these God's plan, sovereign plan, is secret to us. He didn't reveal to us. 
and um, one of the things that I, I do think when you talk, it, oh, God has spoke to me. Um, it, it's the higher life theology. It, it really is that special connection that you have with God, that mysticism, you know, that is not necessarily based on the knowledge of Scripture and how, you know, God is informing their conscience. It, it's really about the pride. Of, of claiming to have a special relationship with God when you really don't. Um, so God's decretive plan includes the sin of others, um, suffering, death, disobedience. Even our disobedience is included on God's providential work in the life of others and in our own lives. He is the end cause, but he will not cause people to make the wrong decision. He works those things, those things together Right? But he doesn't, I mean, think about Joseph. Um, he didn't know what was going to happen. But after the fact, his brothers are just disturbed with the whole thing, and he comes to them and looks and says, you know, he intended this for evil, but God intended it for good. It was all there. Man doesn't have free will necessarily on this sense. I mean, you, God gives you options. Uh, to choose it from, but ultimately God is in control of, of everything happening behind. Otherwise, God wouldn't be sovereign. Man has a limited will, limited to his nature and limited to his sovereignty. His decretive plan is secret to us until we live it. All right, two, God's perceptive or revealed will. The will of God is also used to describe the desire or consent, what he wants and what is favorable to him. Um, so let me skip uh, this here. It is vital that we understand this concept of God's will is that which brings him pleasure. Our decision should aim to please him, not to gratify our lusts. So for example, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. His revealed will for us is it's God's will that you should be, what? Sanctified. That's God's will for us, that you should avoid sexual immorality. And later, in the same letter, we read, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now, God will reveal this, I don't know if I put it in there, in two ways, right? That the revealed uh, God's written word, there is direct commands, to us that we ought to obey, like give thanks, flee sexual immorality. Those are clear. You don't have to be wondering, uh, should, uh, you know, should I go watch this, watch pornography? No, that you shouldn't be wondering about that. God gave clear instructions for you to follow, so directive. How should I do when someone sins against me? Uh, should I just avoid them, or should I go and look after them? Well, Matthew 18, what does it say? It, it, you know, you don't have to be wondering. And then there are those occasions where there is not necessarily a clear command, but there are principles. There, there are examples in Scripture that might point you to, to that. So principles are like a compact, compass, does, but there is a freedom in which paths you should take. Should I go east or west, take whatever you want to go? It says that the heart... Of a man uh, plans his way, Proverbs 16, 9, but the Lord establishes his step. 
and this is really saying it's not that the Lord is going to be guiding you, um, you know, all the way, telling you step by step. Is that you know you're going to make you're going to make plans, but ultimately, His um, will that is established in the Scripture will make it um, clear to you. God always redirects your steps on His sovereignty. There is no plan B for your life. You're living it. Unless you break God's commands, you know that. Even though there is a plan to use the failures and restoration to teach others. I mean, think about David, right? In Psalm, I think either Psalm 51 or 32 where he says, he's confessed his sin and say, Lord, um, I want to teach sinners your way. Even through his failure, God used that in his sovereign plan to teach others. Biblical wisdom trump, trumps experience. Uh, 2 Peter 1.3 says that we have a, uh, promises, God's promises are more sure than any experience that we might have. Because you will hear people telling all, all sorts of stories. Oh, but, you know, someone told this to me, or I had this impression, and I followed it, and it worked. Oh, Praise the Lord. In his providence, he used that. That's how I interpret it. In his providence, he used that. Um, but I, I, you know, between your experience and, and the word of God that is more sure, I stick with God's word that is sure. So I just put here kind of the summary of the biblical decision making, and we'll go step by step next week with the specific situations. So where God commands, we must obey. Two, where there is no command, God gives us freedom and responsibility to choose. Three, where there is no command, God gives us wisdom to choose. And I think that's the principal part where, you know, you read Proverbs. Um, I can think here of, you know, oh, you gotta, you, you're trying to find a wife, right? And um, Proverbs gives a lot of instruction. It, you know, the, you, you don't want to marry someone that is contentious. It's like the dripping of, of, of water. I mean, you, you see someone, you notice that she's contentious, that she likes fighting, she likes arguing, she's not teachable. Take warning. That's, it, it's not a clear command from God, but he's giving you directives. I mean, avoid this, go this way, not that way. So we, we'll go more on this next week, but... Um, that this wisdom part is coming from principles. When we have chosen what is moral and wise, so you have God's big moral will or God revealed will in his word, and within that area, there is a freedom that you can pick from. It, it is not, if it is not a sin, and, and within God's wisdom, you can choose from that, and you have actually a responsibility to make a decision. That's where it leads us to the reflection and reasons, excuses for struggles in decision-making. Right? Have you seen people struggling? So it might be some of the examples that I put in here, but I want to hear from you, and maybe we'll touch already on those. And take some time for discussion now in the few minutes that we have left. Where are... Um, what do you think, why do you think people struggle? Um, they might come for counseling. What is the one they're stuck at? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. Susanna, we're speaking of, of something really um, important here. Um, is that you know, you you go through all of that process. You know, you look for the directives of God's word. You went through. You know, there's a command, or is there wisdom here? And you make a decision. And then after the fact, uh, it starts struggling. It, there, there's difficulty involved in it. You know, might not feel at peace, right? So she's bringing the fact that we still live in a cursed world, sin-cursed world, that even if you made the right decision, it will face trouble. I mean, Jesus said, and this world will have tribulation. It doesn't mean that you're out, outside of God's will. I mean, if you're going to use that as a directive, yes, suffering can be an indicator sometimes that we are in disobedience to God, sometimes out of ignorance or out of, um, you know, just um, spiritual blindness. We, we, we do something contrary to God's will, revealed will in Scripture, and, and the Lord brings discipline. Um, it can be, but... If you have went through scripture and you, you, you know for sure I followed the, you know, the instructions and I, I'm struggling right now, um, that doesn't mean necessarily that you're, uh, you're outside of God's will. Think about Jesus. I, I like bringing that example a lot where uh, people I just have this peace. I'm just so, it, this was, you know. Jesus in the cross, you know, at the Gethsemane, he knew exactly what God's will was for him. He knew it. And he asked if it is possible, you know, to pass it, but not my will, but yours be done. He was not in conflict with the, the Father's will for him. He, I mean, dripping sweat, you know, blood, blood sweat. So I, I think using that, hardship, trial as, a, as an indicator, as if you're outside God's will, I think it's not always a good, um, and, and it, it, can, it can make people quite um, um, fearful. Yep, Eric? Yeah, very good. Yeah, so Eric is bringing the, the fact that, you know, it, this, uh, the boasting that comes with pride, um, knowing exactly Right? And then the other aspect of uh, being undecisive uh, that is really coming out of disobedience, not necessarily a uh, form of godliness. So I put he, one here that I think it's very common, um, and I remember being afraid as a teenager because I would hear, you know, uh, goodness, so many missionary stories where uh, I remember this one couple you know, they came to share their testimony um, and say, you know, I, the least place I wanted to go was to go to Amazon. <laughs> and I remember saying this to even to Lindsay, like, I don't want to go there, but God's going to send me there. You know? <laughs> God, God's will is unpleasant. Uh, fear that God's will is unpleasant. If you're thinking in terms of finding the dot, you know, that's obscure, mystical, that's, that's, that's where you might come come from that thinking. How many times have you heard testimonies and messages saying of focus on yielding or surrendering to God's will? The message conveyed is that God's will is always opposite to our desires. And that is something that, I um, found this in an article, so I'm quoting from, from them, from Martin Clark. Um, 
The term surrender or yield further indicate that we are losing, doing God's will only because we're not successful in this struggle. It is assumed that our interests, abilities, ambitions must be renounced in order to be at the center of God's will. Some persons laboring under the added burden of unresolved guilt may even see God's calling as a punishment. Well, God, you know, I didn't obey God. Now he's sending me here. He's making me do this. Keep in mind, there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even his discipline, that's not a condemnation. He's not punishing you for your sins. You would never be able to bear the punishment for your sins. Christ has done that. He disciplines us because he loves us, and he wants to, you know, so, all right, this is classic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, she brought uh, the matter of contentment in the midst of, of that situation, right? If I'm obeying God, and yet I might be struggling, if, I, if I'm angry or, I think we should always be searching our hearts. Um, you know, God's word says that his commandments are not burdensome. They're not, they're not to make us, you know, sad. At times, doing the right thing will be really hard. Um, I remember counseling people through, through, through things like that, that they knew what they needed to do. But it was hard. Ask for forgiveness to someone or to... Forgive someone for a horrible thing that they have done to you. I mean, it is hard in a sense that it, it's difficult. But as you do it, uh, you experience the joy of obeying God. You know? Yes, yeah. So that one's talking about acts and the Holy Spirit and the guidance. That was very unique during that time. I think I'll touch more on that next week so we can um, really dive into that um, very unique time in history and how God guided them. It's more descriptive than prescriptive, so apply the right hermeneutics. So I'll, I'll just run to you those, those last few ones here. Mysticism, setting up fleeces, devices, or signs. Right? Um, we walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. Um, even if I don't know what God's sovereign will is and what is going to lead me, I trust in, that in his providence, he's going to bring about the circumstances in my life for my good. There's, um, and I read this, I thought it was interesting. You know, there's a view that God gives signs which indicate his will for us. This viewpoint widely propagated, even though Jesus taught. Remember what, the, you know, the, the Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders were asking Jesus for a sign? What did he tell them? Evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. I have given you plenty and enough to know. Uh, it, you keep looking. Um, it, it sometimes it's unbelief. Oh, I just I'm just looking for a sign if I should really ask for forgiveness. If I, you know, if they show up for church, then I think that's a sign. Well, if they don't, I'm no. You you know God's command. It is you know. It, Things like that is hard, um, but you don't need a sign for that. Mysticism, too much emphasis in our inner feelings or impressions. You know, as I said, um, oh, I just have, it's another pastor, I want to get into this, but I have the peace of God ruling my heart. Um, 
that passage is not talking about these inner, innermost. It's talking about lack of conflict in the church so that you should obey God and stop fighting. Then the peace of Christ will be with you. It's, it's the lack of conflict, really. It's not about, oh, I just feel this peace because it, it doesn't prove one thing or the other. I mean, you can have Jonah is sleeping, sound sleep, disobeying God. So then I'm going to get in the case here of young people because I know, <laughs> I, I hear that sometimes, you know, people that have a desire to be married. And I mean, the Lord is in control. I, I, I wanted to be married for a long time. It, it, it wasn't until I was 34. <laughs> so the Lord it, it took a while there. But they keep saying, well, I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm just, I'm just waiting on the Lord. What are you doing about it? You know, waiting in the Lord and the scripture is not a passive, just laissez-faire kind of thing. You know, just, just be there. You, you wait for the Lord, uh, you do what he commands, <laughs> what he has instructed you, the guidance. Though, those who wait on the Lord don't sit still, they run, they move. Um, isolation for selfish purpose. Those who are set in their own ways, you know, are just cannot be teachable uh, to not this, you know, getting close to our message here. Uh, you will hear some of that from the people of Israel. Uh, it's just set in their ways. They are not listening counsel from others. Um, they've received instruction. Uh, Proverbs 18 says that whoever, uh, let's go there. That one's a, that's a good passage for us to. <clears throat> he who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. It does not matter what people will tell them, instruct them. They'll just be set in their own ways and not be instructed. And they'll just do whatever they, they want to do. Uh, form of godliness from misguided conscience. Uh, I think overthinking based on wrong beliefs. Uh, you know, I, I think God's will, it's, it's painful. Like, that, that's a wrong belief. So they keep overthinking everything um, uh, that thought of saying, you know, blaming God for, for doing things. Uh, faith is taking God at his word and living by it. Um, I'll give you one example here. Um, you know, no names. But I had a, a young guy in seminary, just it's very young. I was surprised that he was already in seminary. But I, I kind of developed a discipleship relationship with him. And I remember um, he didn't have a car. He was riding a bike to seminary from Burbank to, you know, to Santa uh, to Sim Valley. Just kind of far and um, think about the traffic in L.A., driving by, you know, riding a bike. I had done that. I had ridden my bike to seminary. And I remember him just like, I, you know, wish they had a car. And I don't know, I just said this, you know, oh, man, I, if I had a car, I, I, I would give it to you. So that same week, my car broke down, and then someone offered uh, to, to, to get me a car for free. I mean, used car, you know, it's not like <laughs> a fancy thing. But you people reached out to me to offer a car. 
in that same, you know, week that I, I told him, I didn't even pray, the Lord <laughs> answered. And I told this guy, hey, I have a car for you. Do you, do you want to, you know, take it? It's a good car, it's drivable, it's not in a fancy car, there's no, no issues, you have, the only thing you have to do is just transfer the title to, to your name. The person is moving away, they graduated, and they're going to a different state, so here's the car. Why well, need to pray about it? Um, and, 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 and time goes, you know, this family is saying, hey, Ronaldo, we really need to, you know, we, we want, can't wait forever. There's another family on, in the line, and, and I said, buddy, what do, you, what do you, you have to pray about? You have a need. Someone in the church family is giving a car for free. I mean, you wanted a car. You know, it's just, oh, I got to fast and pray about this. I think is it, what I, I call here a form of godliness versus misguided conscience. You know, that I need to have these signs or this affirmation about this. I mean, if it was something that was shady, yes, <laughs> I'll be saying that or, or just say, no, I don't think it's for me. Um, but it, it, it really baffles me when I, I hear people, you know, clearly this is an opportunity. What are you waiting for? Uh, there's, it is within that framework. You're not disobeying God. God has given you the, the thing, what are you waiting for? Too much emphasis and opinion of others. That was the last thing I put there. Um, so, anyways, these are some of the things. I went way over time. I'm going to pray, and if you have questions, observations, please feel free to come. And email them to me so we can talk about next week. All right? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that is true, that is a more sure promise and confidence that we have than any experience that we might have in making decisions. Father, we are thankful that you didn't leave us wondering, that you have given us clear directives to act on. Give us courage to do what you have asked of us, and after we do, that we may trust that even when things are hard, you work them together for our good, which is to conform us to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.